Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include lending statistics, my interview with Sagent's newly appointed Chief of Staff, Matt Tully, on his new role, Sagent's recent partnership with Mr. Cooper, and hot topics in mortgage servicing for the next 12 months, and buying the rumor and selling the news when it comes to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Lending is full of statistics, and originators follow many of them, looking for an edge in finding clients. Last year, 27.1 million Americans moved, 80% within the same state, and 20% consisting of interstate moves. Florida was the most moved to state, and California top states for folks moving away from it. Originators also look for ways to add value to their clients. They might want to consider letting them know about Realm. No, this is not a paid endorsement. Homeowners often struggle to decide which upgrades will offer the biggest boost in property value. Realm helps by analyzing real estate, tax, zoning, and other data to offer recommendations after assessing the impact of different designs, materials, and financing options to calculate the return on, say, a kitchen renovation. And Realm is free, which is a good price, in my book at least. Today's podcast is brought to you by Sagent which powers more than $2 trillion in outstanding mortgage servicing, enabling its bank and non-bank customers to care for, retain, and modernize homeownership for millions of borrowers. Today, we're joined by Sagent's policy and compliance expert, Matt Tully, who was recently promoted to chief of staff. Matt's proven himself as an executive-level utility player, adept at compliance, GSE relations, board investor communication, and a highly informed SME in industry and media relations. In this episode, we'll be talking about Matt's new role, Sagent's new partnership with Mr. Cooper, and hot topics in servicing. So you've been with Sagent for three years and originally came over as the compliance officer and head of agency affairs. Tell me about your decision to make that move and what's it been like? Thanks for having me. Uh, thrilled to be here. To quote the Grateful Dead, it's been what a, a long, strange tip it's been uh, over <laughs> the last three years. You know, the, the Sagent opportunity really for me, I think there, there were two things uh, number one, uh, my perception that I think you're starting to see play out now, you know, through the pandemic and the post-pandemic era, that servicing has been uh, really a, a underappreciated component of the business and and was really ripe for change, uh, both from a, a regulatory standpoint, but also from a, a technology standpoint. And, and so that was part of it is looking, you know, having come from the origination side of the business, I, I spent the first part of my career in mortgage uh, at, at Essent and really learned the business there. Uh, coming over here to uh, figure out what what are the borrower's needs. Once we spent all this this time trying to get the phone ring, trying to get people in the door, get, get them financing, uh, really developing that relationship uh, with, with the homeowner is vitally important. So that was a big, a key driver of it. I think the other piece was around technology. Again, the, the origination side of the business, I think had gotten a lot of attention in the you know, latter part of the, the last decade uh, around efforts that were made to streamline the, the process to get people um, into, into homes. We think about like day one certainty and loan advisor suite and some of the different initiatives that the GSEs had. That's great, but once you've established that relationship, then how do you retain uh, the relationship from that homeowner to become that trusted advisor? And I think that's a piece where uh, people have traditionally underestimated the role that technology can play uh, in, in really how the demand is changing 
when it comes to what the homeowner expects, uh, especially with this millennial generation that is now making its way into those those homeownership years and the home formation years. What do they want from their servicer that's going to make them smarter, whether that's about the value of their home, uh, whether about their options for refinancing, taking out a home equity line, whether it's time for them to move up. Uh, they want to do things on their phone, but they also want those resources. And I, I think that was a, a piece too, where I saw an opportunity to, to join a tech firm that was really starting to think about these things and start having that conversation in a, in a broader way with the industry. As I mentioned at the start, Sage Power is more than $2 trillion in outstanding mortgage servicing. So it's great news in a sense that rates are on the rise when it comes to servicing values. Speaking of great news, last week it was announced that you were promoted to chief of staff. Congratulations. Traditionally, when people think of a role like that, the first thing that comes to mind is the White House. You know, How does that role work and what will that entail for you at Sajin? Uh, sure. Well, thank, well, first, thanks for the congrats. It's, it's a you know, pretty exciting uh, opportunity and, and, and kind of a cool opportunity having spent the last three years uh, you know, on a number of key initiatives, carving us out from Fiserv and setting up the standalone business and obviously helping uh, work with the executive team to guide us through uh, the pandemic and hopefully into this now post-pandemic era. Uh, you're right. When people think of the chief of staff, they think of of, of the West Wing, um, you know, or, or or Congress, and it tends to be that 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 role is 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 eyes and ears in a really fast-paced uh, environment and helps the principal uh, to keep track of all the various uh, work streams. And I think as a tech company, we're finding the same thing. Uh, we have been on you know a pretty wild journey when you think about it. Over the last three years, having you know this time now four years ago been part of Fiserv and 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 now uh, coming up on the four year anniversary of of the uh, the carve out with Warburg and and so the things we've had to do in terms of you know standing up an operation on our own two feet. I obviously spend a lot of time on the compliance piece of it. There's a ton of governance that goes on, and 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 meanwhile we're out we're competing every day. We're, we're winning new business. Uh, we just announced a, a pretty exciting deal with, uh, with Mr. Cooper. There's a lot of stuff to keep track of. And so I really think of the job as really an extra set of hands, but also an extra set of eyes and ears for uh, our CEO to help keep track of all the things that he needs to keep track of and to make sure that, that we as an executive team uh, are doing the things that we need to do to make sure that we're keeping our clients uh, happy and, and satisfied with the things we're doing with the tech. Um, there's a ton of work uh, with, with the Mr. Cooper deal in terms of they're not just a client, they're a partner. Uh, so working with them on that. And, and then obviously winning new deals and making sure that we're successful running the business day in and day out. And after uh, you know four years, it, it really was time as we reached this next uh, level of growth for the company to think about adding, adding some new positions like this. Uh, to make sure that we're executing. Let's talk about that Mr. Cooper deal because it is a big deal. Can you tell me about how you'll be involved with the execution of that agreement in your new role? Sure. So the the Mr. Cooper deal uh, was announced, uh, I guess now just two weeks ago, and it is a it is an interesting uh, transaction. Uh, Mr. Cooper has uh, built a, a really cool uh, servicing platform and some ancillary products uh, around LostMit and a borrower portal uh, that we are actually taking the the IP for, and in return for that, um, they are taking an equity stake in Sagent and. So that you know, it's really interesting when you think about it in that regard. And 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 Jay Bray made this point on the earnings call. 
uh, they could have just taken a check. What they really wanted was was a partnership. So uh, we now get to steward that technology um, into its next its next iteration and and really commercialize that, which is a really cool opportunity. And and in return, we get a, a really cool partner who obviously wants to see us be successful, not just as a user as a platform, but also as as the party that helped build it. And, and wants to see it continue to grow. And so there's a ton of work that goes on. We have something called the TSA or Transition Services Agreement that will execute here over the next year where the Cooper team uh, will continue to, to work as employees of Mr. Cooper, but by the end uh, will re, be, re, will be rebadged um, and, and come over as, uh, as SAGEN personnel. So we have to think about considerations like office space and benefits and all the things that, uh, you know, People have to deal with every day when they're when they're running companies. But then, the, you know, the more exciting opportunity is really commercializing that. Uh, right now, we have obviously just Mr. Cooper on the platform. But since we made that announcement, we've had a ton of interest in the market from other people uh, who are interested in in what they've built and interested in how they can get on as well. Uh, so we obviously need to make sure that we are successful in that that commercialization process. Uh, which we'll be executing on pretty diligently here over the next 12 months. You know, my role is really uh, making sure that the project plan stays on task as an executive team, that we have alignment on what we're going to do. If there's gaps or things that we need to do that we identify those early, Uh, you know, executives don't like surprises. So making sure that uh, if there's things that pop up along the way that we understand, is is it a personnel need? Is it additional technology need? Uh, What does it cost? How can we get it? And, and doing all those types of things so that when we get to the end of the TSA, uh, we get to a point where we think we can we can start adding uh, new servicers onto the platform we're able to do so successfully. I mentioned that servicing kind of takes the spotlight in rising rate environments, and, and you've mentioned the 12-month time horizon here. What do you think will be the main themes for mortgage servicing over the next 12 months? So it's interesting. I'm doing this interview from Orlando. Uh, just just landed here a little bit ago for the MBA servicing uh, show, which was the the last uh, MBA conference I went to before the world shut down two years ago. It it in some ways it feels like we are uh, quote unquote back to normal. I know things are still not back to normal, but you know hopefully uh, you know trend, trending that way. So I think I think theme one is actually the return to normal. Uh, we've had obviously a lot of uh, focus on mortgage servicers. Mortgage servicers have, have had to do a ton of work uh, with respect to processing mortgage forbearance uh, requests and making sure that credit's protected. Uh, we're now in a place where the foreclosure moratoriums have been lifted, and so that pro- those processes are starting to go. Um, it, it, you know, to the extent you can call this normal, uh, I do think this is a is as normal as we're going to get for the time being, and hopefully it'll get better. To, you know, from here, but mortgage servicers are not going to be is focused on you know dealing with those borrowers that are impacted by uh, the the pandemic, but more moving to the next step. So whether that's loss mitigation or foreclosure, I think those, both of those really take on a higher uh, level of priority than they have over the last two years. So I think that's that that would be theme one is the quote unquote return to um, uh, to normal. Uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, the you know the rising rate environment really does help with uh, retention opportunities. Uh, you know, as, as borrowers lose that incentive to refinance, but uh, servicers do, still do care about portfolio runoff. They care about being uh, a resource. I think we're seeing a lot of uh, people think about uh, you know cash out options or HELOCs. Uh, you know, I want to stay in my home. Do I want to add on? Do we move? And I think that. That will be another component uh, that that mortgage servicers will be 
thinking about. And then I think the third one is really this process of digitization, uh, moving away from paper and and moving online. And, and that takes on a couple of different uh, flavors in, in my view. I think the, the first flavor of that is the digitization of the loss mitigation foreclosure process. So we've spent, uh, thanks to the pandemic, you know, a ton of uh, money, uh, you know, getting people to embrace RON, remote online notarization. That was really important during the pandemic when people you know, didn't want to go and sit in a title office and sign documents for refis or for moving. Uh, that Those RON processes are just as applicable to loss mit foreclosure. And so I think that, you know, that that is a piece of it, number one. Uh, number two, I, I think, is is paper statements. Uh, you know, I, I, I live outside Washington, D.C. We've got, uh, a, you know, a pretty big postal facility just a few miles uh, from my house. It actually was one of the main Netflix processing facilities back in the day when, when this, the CD bit or the DVD business was really big for Netflix. And, and yet we have issues with our postal delivery. And, and there, are, there are still a lot of things that are required to be mailed. So, uh, you know, to what extent can we move the needle with CFPB to get them to embrace uh, more digital uh, statements than, you know, things having to be sent in the mail and, and, and the things that aren't required that are just, you know, privacy notices and things like that. How can servicers get people to embrace getting it online versus getting it in the mail, given uh, some of the strains on, on the postal service? And then I think the third piece is just overall the adoption of, of, of the digital platform. Uh, it was really interesting. We had, uh, I think, about 15 clients that were on our uh, digital platform before the pandemic, and, and the, uh, the number of clients that are interested in, in that platform has just exploded. I mean, literally doubled uh, through the pandemic. When you think about uh, what servicers had to deal with in the early days of the pandemic of, uh, you know, shifting to remote and then having to deal with all these inbound calls where people were looking to go on forbearance versus being able to direct someone to an online platform to request help. And, and while I certainly hope we don't have to uh, live through another pandemic in our lifetime, uh, what I, I do think we can, most of us can, can reasonably agree on is the incidence of weather-related events that are impacting uh, people across the country is increasing, whether that's floods or wildfires, things of that nature. When uh, your house is underwater, your house is just burnt down, the last thing the homeowners you know, needs to be concerned with is getting on the phone to call their servicer to say, my house is underwater, my house is burnt, versus can I just log on the phone and indicate to my servicer I need help? And, and so we're seeing a huge uh, surge in, in interest in those digital portals um, that will allow borrowers to do things like that, as well as manage their day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, finances, making payments, pulling down statements, things of that nature. And, and again, as I talked about at the outset, I really think that is, that's what a lot of, uh, you know, not just younger, but, but borrowers across the board uh, are, are expecting, but especially, you know, younger millennial generations that are really driving a lot of the purchase demand right now want to be able to do something online. They don't necessarily want to have to talk to someone. And so how does that digital portal really become uh, the mainstay and, and the way that the servicer establishes that rock solid relationship with, with the homeowner? And so I, I think you'll see a lot more of that uh, adoption uh, in here in 2022. All excellent points. Matt, I don't want to keep you from the conference any longer. I really appreciate you making the time and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on uh, in the near future. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. Great to chat. Yesterday's news of an invasion in Ukraine didn't shock the market. Probably a good example of the trading adage, buy the rumor, sell the news. 
The press has been talking about it for so long, it was entirely expected. And surprises are what moves markets. An escalation of hostilities in Ukraine yesterday to open the shortened trading week saw Russia hit with sanctions. But U.S. Treasuries still pulled back and mortgage rates rose as the offensive did not expand into the rest of Ukraine. It would seem inflation and how hawkish the Fed will be at its March meeting are still driving MBS pricing. Economic data on the day yesterday showed the conference board's consumer confidence index dropped in February, but still beat expectations and was higher than the same period a year ago. If inflationary pressures continue and real disposable personal income is negative, we should see a moderation of spending activity in the coming months. On the housing front, FHFA housing price index rose 1.2% month over month in December, the same as November. While the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index rose 18.6% in December year-over-year, slightly higher than November. Today's economic calendar is about done and dusted, with MBA reporting that mortgage applications decreased 13.1% from one week earlier, due largely to mortgage rates surging higher during the reporting period. Speaking of MBA, its monthly loan monitoring survey revealed that the total number of loans now in forbearance decreased by 11 basis points to 1.30% of servicers' portfolio volume in the prior month, at the end of January. According to MBA's estimate, 650,000 homeowners are in forbearance plans. Later today brings a treasury auction of $53 billion worth of five-year notes and comments from San Francisco Fed President Daly. The desk will purchase up to $2.6 billion in conventionals. We begin Wednesday with agency MBS prices worth a quarter and the 10-year yielding 1.98 after closing yesterday at 1.95%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. What do you say to comfort a friend who's struggling with grammar? There, there, there. I mean, you kind of got to see that, but I think you get the idea. Thanks again to Sagent, bringing the modern experience customers expect from loan originations to servicing with platforms that let consumers manage their homeowning lives from anywhere. The end game is a continuous loop where tech-powered customer attention, retention, and engagement in servicing lead to new originations, which lead to and preserve lifetime servicing. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.